and welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. My name is Richard Davison, and I am joined by my good buddies, Ethan Huffman and Elkin Beltry. Guys, we are on to round two, and how are you feeling? Feeling good. Feeling great. Yep. I, I must say I have enjoyed this postseason thus far. I did not have to deal with any, any loss. Um, everything for me is just I get to watch it and be relatively objective. Naturally, I've you know attached myself to the Blazers, um, but ultimately, like I, I still have an objective opinion about them. Not, <laughs> not, not as a, uh, not as Blazer centric as I am Heat centric. So it's been a good time. Well, with only, I mean, really, there's only one good series. By good series, I mean series that is beneficial for all of the other teams in the NBA because it leads to more revenue sharing. Um, you know, only series to go to seven games, guys, wrapped up last night. That mm. was the Nuggets versus the Spurs. And, of course, in an ugly game that where neither team reached 100, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. The yeah. Nuggets advance. <laughs> yeah, the Nuggets The Nuggets made it work. Um, Nikola Jokic, he... He was the catalyst for all things good. He, you know, played okay defense. He sets up all the offense. He didn't have his best shooting night, as no one in this game did. Um, but he, he was able to control the pace of the game and the flow of the game. And he had three blocks, which, um, you know, jump off the st- uh, stat sheet for me. But I, even in re-watching the game, I, I don't remember him, like, making – any big defensive mistakes. And I think you can look at um, how LaMarcus Aldridge fared and, and see that um, bared out. And you could tell that Nikola Jokic had a good game guys, because he got a triple double. Um, oh, he, 20, 21, 15 and uh, 10 with again, one steal, four blocks and zero turnovers. That's the big one. That's, that's the one you want to see from Jokic. Uh, Cause then, you know, he's facilitating as, you know, as the star that he is. Um, any, anything else that stood out, stood out to you guys in that game? Um, I think for me, like that, that's a game I actually was able to watch a decent part of it. It felt like, cause I don't know, were you guys able to watch the entire game through or just kind of pick it up? Yeah. I was, I was there the whole time. Yeah, Ethan flew to Denver to watch it. No, he did. <laughs> no, but just kind of seeing like San Antonio, it seemed like they were fighting for most of the game because when they started off, like I know both of the teams really didn't shoot that well. But for me, I was thinking of how it was game one when San Antonio won in Denver. How was game seven was like almost all those shots San Antonio were hitting in game one. None of them were falling in game seven. Like it was just like similar. I mean, it didn't help when you had Aldridge and DeMar shoot not so well. And then, I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is plus minus for that game. Ooh, it wasn't it wasn't pretty for him yeah. minus 13 but that's I think that's one of the biggest things I was noticing I was like they're used to making these shots it's just like nothing and then it felt like when they started off so cold that after a while they just started like we need to make a shot but even like regular layups I think Forbes had a layup at one point I was like all right he's made these layups before he like did like a a slow two-step nope missed the lip I was like it's gonna be a long night yeah, no, this this game took us back to, to March in terms of college basketball and just the level of shot making was was not uh, persistent. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt like all series, LaMarcus like settled um, for, you know, 15 to 18 foot jumpers instead of his 10 to 15 footers because Paul Millsap and Yoke, which did such a good job keeping him away from the paint, keeping him uh, forced out on the per- like as far on the perimeter as possible. 
And because of either Paul Millsap's like low center of gravity, able to get into um, Marcus's legs, or if we look at Jokic and just he's 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 a big boy, like he's hard to move. Lamarcus could really never get all the way down into the paint to get things flowing. You know, it, it, when he struggled, he, he stayed struggling because he he didn't have bunnies available to him. And Demar, I thought Demar played a pretty good game overall. I, he shot poor from the field, yes, but I, I think he wasn't getting the benefit of the whistle on times when he drove to the basket. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's because he, he does have, you know, some of that deliberate footwork, and so he, you know, maybe got got too clean of a look and then they, they fouled him late. I, I don't know, but like, I, I thought De- DeMar fa- found his way into the paint and was not rewarded for his efforts very often. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, Ethan, Seemed kind of like a March Madness type of game. We got on one side, 10% from the three-point line. From the Nuggets, the winning team shot 10%, Ethan. Yikes. 10%. And uh, it wasn't too much better over by the Spurs, but it just, it was, it's really interesting just going over and looking at the box scores and, and just seeing, it's like, man, you got people shooting, um, Ofer, like for the entire, like you got Jamal Murray and Jokic, like some of the better shooters uh, on Denver, nothing. And I mean, it's really been interesting to see Denver, who's not been known as a defensive team. And and yeah, I mean, you're playing against the Spurs, who also are not an outside, you know, shooting team either. But seeing them be able to have a couple of games where they're holding, uh, holding the Spurs team and actually playing defense. This is, you know, before this year, they were not known as a defensive team, but, you know, they can bring it in spurts. Yeah, I want to I want to note that the, the Spurs, for as good an offense as they have potential to be, they, they definitely are are more easily defensed than a lot of teams. Like, you, if you have the personnel to throw a body at DeRozan, if you have those two bigs to slow, to slow down Aldridge, everyone else on this on this first team, they're not dynamic individual players. As much as Derek White had his uh, blow-up game, I, yeah. I I I stood firm in my take that he was, you know, he's he's fine. He's fine. And <laughs> I, I, I don't dislike Derek White. I just dislike the narrative around Derek White. Much like the way Al Horford has had different moments um in, like, of slurpage i'm just like let's relax he's always been he's always been pretty good and ultimately the spurs team just doesn't have enough playmakers a guy like lonnie walker not progressing at all this rookie year did not play any significant portions of any minutes for the spurs team all year uh murray being out all year those are the kind of guys that are going to need to uh get healthy and and get better for this team to have a a more diverse attack because as much as Rudy Gay can go get a shot, he's not he's not never going to create for anyone else, especially at this stage of his career. So you, you really are going to need those two those two younger guys to become more dynamic with the ball in their hands. Well, the Nuggets advance. Uh, they'll be playing the Portland Trailblazers. When's that? When's the first game for that one? Is it starting tomorrow? Yeah, I think so. I think it's tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow at seven thirty. Uh, Pacific Woo. time, Pacific time. So, Elkin, you're probably not going to be able to watch that one. Um, you know me, though, and my bad sleeping habits when it comes to the playoffs. I'm just like, you know <laughs> what? Let me just watch one quarter. I'll be mm. okay. And then next thing you know, it's like 1 o'clock, and I'm like, ah, got to wake up in five hours. What have I done? Mistake. Yeah, and uh, and so that's going to be an interesting matchup. I don't know how much we want to spend time thinking about that right now at this moment. Oh, I'll just point the seed really quickly. Um, the Nuggets are not going to be able to have bad offensive games against the Blazers. Those those will result in L's. If they're just missing shots, 
the Blazers' offense is not going to sputter like the Spurs will at times. Between um, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, those are two elite scorers thus far in the postseason. Then I, I don't see the wing, the, the those types of defenders that are going to be able to sh- slow those guys down on the Nuggets. But in the same sense, like you know, Damian, Dame, and C.J. are are not known for being great defenders, but you know they've they made their advances. But Murray and Barton and Harris, they all should be able to find their own scoring scoring streaks. The question is, as far as like Portland, big man, what are you doing? I mean, Cantor's currently dealing with a separated shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to recover from that, and so his his availability is in doubt. And I, I just wonder with how Denver would want to play with a lot of um, Jokic at the top of the key, uh, doing dribble handoffs and finding path and it leading to de facto uh, kind of the same separation you would expect to get in a pick and roll. You kind of get that um, with, with that type of dribble handoff. And is it actually a, a better thing for Portland that Cantor uh, isn't in this because of how I anticipate he would get abused in this particular matchup? Well, I, I, yes and no, because I think ultimately Jokic doing some bully ball is going to be their way. They're, they're like saving grace because he's got the body to not Cantor back. He's got the body to knock any big man we throw at him. Or, you know, Myers Leonard might be the only brick house down there, but he's going to hack him. So it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, like, I just don't think it matters. Um, Cantor's defensive foibles, like, came out time to time against OKC. They're going to come out against Denver if he plays. Um, but it, it's all about the offense for both these teams. Like, they're, like, it's just who, who, who struggles more on offense in individual games and matchups? That's who's going to lose the game that day. Yep, very true. And uh, I don't think there's going to be a single game where either team's held under nine, uh, held under a hundred. Yeah, it's it's probably not going to be that type of matchup like we just saw with the Spurs. Um, no. And if you ha- having Damian Lillard on your team is um, pretty it's nice, pretty good. It's it's a pretty good feeling to yeah. to know you get to watch that guy, and he's he's the, on the team that you're rooting for. Well, yeah. Let's go ahead and move on then to uh, the other game that happened um, last night: the Raptors versus the Sixers. First game with the uh, second round, and well, Kawhi Leonard was not playing games, guys. No, he was not. Forty-five points. Um, what did you guys see out there? Um, I go ahead, Elkin. No, uh, no, I was just saying that. First of all, I don't think there should be any argument if Kawhi is back or not. This is pretty obvious at this point. And then second. It just seemed like the 76ers wing players just felt, to me, they felt rushed. Meanwhile, Kawhi was like, I'm going to get to my spot this entire night, and I know what I'm going to do. And his defense was at the – he knew where he needed to be, I would say, probably throughout most of this game. Like, this game was a game I was able to look at more. And I was just thinking, I was like, man, Kawhi is probably, like, the best person that the Raptors could have against this 76ers team because of who he can go around and guard. Because Probably the main guys they need to worry about besides Joel Embiid are obviously Harris, Butler, and Simmons. And it feels like Kawhi at any point, if he gets switched on them, he's going to be able to handle his own. And I think, was he on Simmons for most of the game when Simmons was in? or He really was bouncing around a lot. Okay, yeah. Honestly, I th- I feel like they just decided to, to roll with whatever matchup was convenient coming up down the floor. Simmons, um, I think you'll note, like, I think his low assist numbers mm-hmm. reflect the time that Kawhi spent on him because he really didn't probe. He would say, yeah. all right, Kawhi wants to guard me. I'm just going to dribble over here, 
kick it back and let them try to run offense for possession. But like I think some of the Jimmy Butler struggles from the field and Tobias Harris not getting free, those are also like that's also some evidence of of Kawhi Leonard's presence being felt. But not, not to forget that if if Kawhi wasn't on one of those guys, it was Pascal Siakam on the other. And yeah. those those two guys are both, you know, all defensive type defend all all D- NBA defense type of guys. And not just those guys. You got Danny Green. You got Kyle Lowry out there, and Mark. Right. Like like that entire starting five: uh, Siakam, Leonard, Gasol, Lowry, and Green. Those are phenomenal defensive players. Sure. And I mean, of no wonder you end up seeing the struggle uh, from from all these other players. Yeah, Ben Simmons had a high field goal percentage, but he took only eight shots. So he's not getting to his yeah. getting the offense that he wants to be able to get out there and run. And I mean, the only negative thing that I would say for Toronto is that, you know, you might just need more Mark Gasol to handle the few minutes that, and you know, few extra minutes that Embiid got um, because really Gasol is there to take care of Embiid. That's why they brought him in yeah, that then, specific matchup right there. And he did, you know, pretty well on him. Yeah, he did really well. Joel Embiid did not have a comfortable moment in this game. He was, uh, Every every time he got any kind of favorable uh, matchup, he was quickly double teamed. Like he had nothing easy. Like ultimately, like I, I, I was at the point watching this game where I was like, man, like the way he looks at there, the way he's forcing it in his few minutes, I I almost wonder like how. I mean, the box, the plus minus won't won't tell the story, but I feel like he had a negative impact on this game for the most part. And you know, that might not be a popular opinion, but I feel like a lot of players had a hard time adjusting to playing around him because it was a, it was a usage machine. He was a usage machine. The few, the few minutes that he played. But I mean, when he's not in there, Ethan, I mean, you know, the, the 10 minutes that Boban was in, he was a minus 17. And- yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily advocating for more, Bo- more Boban. I'm not advocating for Greg Monroe. I'm, I advocate him for like you know Jonah Bolden playing in, in like as a like in with the starters. I'm looking at Ben Simmons being the the de facto center. I think you can get Marcus Gasol out of the game if you put players like that in because he's not going to have the lateral quickness. Okay, and then we're then we're playing Serge Ibaka more, who it's Serge Ibaka while has his role is not as good. Like, but like that'll be the matchup that Toronto has to go with, and ultimately, I'd rather see. Uh, Serge Ibaka out there in exchange for any one of our bench players instead of uh, Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol scary. He shoots better than Ibaka and is a better rim protector than Ibaka. If, if the matchup can dictate him, uh, Marcus Gasol at the floor, that's what I want. Man, it's and, uh, un- unhealthy. Yeah. Joel Embiid is not is not an incredible player. He's just really good, you know. And I just ultimately think if you can make everyone else, if you can make Tobias Harris' life more easy, make J- Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons' life more easy because you're going to have more spacing out there, I think that's the play. Um, you, you really need to find the lineups that allow Bolden out there with the other four starters. Yeah. Not just in garbage time getting Bolden minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Bolden proponent. I, I just am still just not sure what you can – actually do against th- this Raptors team with just how awesome defensively they are. You just have to be able to make tough, difficult shots. And yeah. if you're not making those tough, difficult shots, then you're going to get beat. Yeah. Mike, oh. Mike Scott being out too does not help. Cause he's the kind of guy who can go in there. He's a, he's a six, seven body. He, he shoots, you know, a good percentage. Like he's obviously not like healthy drill and B changes everything in terms of, 
individual games. Like I, I still think the Raptors would would win the series. I picked the Raptors to go to the finals out of the East. I think they're the best team. Ultimately, if you surround Ben Simmons with shooters, it's going to be a better better product for the for the Sixers. And, and you can say the same thing. If you surround Embiid with shooters, it's going to be a better product. And so that's just the rub of the Sixers team is one of those guys just seems to always get in the other's way. Yep. Anything else you guys want to talk about regarding uh, this matchup? Um, I want us and the Hero Ball community to get a better nickname for Pascal Siakam. Spicy P, <laughs> it's not going to cut it. Oh, man. It's gross. It's a gross cool. nickname. I'm ready to just hijack playoff P from Paul George and give it to him. Oh, yeah. Because that's that's fair. Like I think you know Pascal Siakam's already proven that he's a, he's a playoff P-worthy guy. Um, ultimately, why don't, why don't we, call I, him, we need something better. Why don't we call him the wager? I mean, you know, Pat Pascal's wager you know, back in the, you know, back in the day, historical. Oh my goodness. Kind of just, just call him the wager. Did you want to make bets on him? Cause you know, okay, okay. I, I have okay. no idea. I don't know. I, I don't have much. I don't have either any yet, but maybe, that's what I'm saying. We need to get, get this, this train rolling. Cause we need a better nickname for Pascal Siakam. Cause it, he doesn't seem like, like, I think, you know, we could go on a couple months into the season and, you know, claimed he's a flash in the pan. Like, you know, you got to do this for a season. He's done it for a season. He's doing it in the postseason. He's here to stay. We need to get a better nickname for him. I mean, we, we were trying to come up with, you know, um, dog names and pig names. And, you know, back, way back when I got my dog at the beginning of this calendar year. And, uh, I mean, we, we I don't think we want to take that route, Ethan. No, we're not. We're not just going to call him Ham or some variation of that. That's a that's not a, great. That's, that's not that's not a good one. But good. you know, I I just want I want that I want that in the in the minds of our 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 listeners out here. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and get to uh, today's games that that happened earlier. Uh, start with the game that happened first: Bucks versus the Celtics. And yes, the Celtics came out winning by twenty two points, uh, one hundred twelve to ninety, guys. Um, it was a, a pretty complete victory from from start from start to finish uh, for the Boston Celtics, and uh, you know so, some major players from from the Bucks really not showing up. Notably, you know Brooke Lopez, uh, Eric Bledsoe, and um, you know Sterling Brown. Those guys in particular, just offensively, did not bring it today. And you can't help but wonder. I mean. Sterling Brown really shouldn't be in this rotation as much as he is. I mean, Pat Connaughton, who looked like the second coming of, I don't, I don't know, just he was shooting phenomenally against the Pistons, make, making literally everything. And again, playing very poorly. You really want Malcolm Brogdon back if you're the Bucs. Um, but, you know, who knows when he'll come back. Point is, the shooters really didn't really have it today. And Giannis wasn't able to find them in great spots. And they ended up losing to a team who had, you know, guys go off. Al Horford probably had, um, you know, one of, one of his best games in the playoffs so far, really taking it to Giannis, making life difficult on him and spreading the floor on the other end. And so, um, guys, how did you feel watching this game? Is there anything in particular that you can look at and say, you know what, there's this area that the Bucks can can adjust to do differently uh, to, to, you know, make it a, a better game and, and perhaps even win. Cause you don't want to go down. Oh, two losing the first two games on your home court. I, as I was watching it, first of all, it was overall disappointing game, but it seems like the bucks were just caught off guard by the, by the Celtics defensive strategy. 
which I felt like to me was an obvious one where they're like, obviously Giannis. I mean, because the Pistons, they didn't, they really couldn't do much to Giannis. But well, I mean, the, the Pistons. What we did, we just you know set our big guys, uh, Drummond yeah. and um, and uh, when Blake came back, Blake on him, like they did with Horford. But it wasn't just that. I mean, Horford was an awful, uh, sorry, awesome defender on him. But they also set the double anytime yeah. he got it in the post, um, which is something the Pistons were not able to do as much. Mm-hmm. And when whenever we did, he made you know those shooters made us pay. Was not the yeah. case today. Yeah, today, like uh, as soon as you brought up um, Conanton, Conanton, I should say, I thought about I was like, oh, he did decent. The Pistons, one of seven today, three pointers, and I was mm-hmm. like, man, if you're gonna have this going on, and obviously it wasn't just him. I think Meritich was the only guy, one of the main guys off the bench that he had. I, I know Middleton had a had a decent game as well, but you're right. Like looking at these other guys, like Bledsoe, I mean, Bledsoe only took five shots. I know. I know situations arise, but you're right about Brown as well. Go ahead, Richard, real quick. Well, I mean, here's the thing about Middleton, though. He was killing it in the first half. He was yeah. pretty unstoppable, and he once the second half hit, he didn't take an outside shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, one one of the things that Ethan tends to harp on is, you know, you, no one should end the game three of four from the outside. I mean, we got to be careful here because Giannis is three for five, and so I mean, <laughs> that's pretty unsustainable. But like, you shouldn't end your end it that way especially with someone like Middleton being three for four uh, I mean he's like he's a guy who needs to be able to just take more and more shots because he killed them in the first half he killed them last postseason and so he's got to be the one to continue to make them pay yeah no it's the, the whole theory is like if you're if you're a good shooter like a Stephen Curry like you might be able to go over 40 percent but my, my theory is you should always if you're shooting that good you should you should be your goal at the end of the game in terms of how many shots you're going to take, is to get yourself back to 40%. Now, if you're Damian Lord and you end up going 10 for 18, well, shucks, we didn't quite get back to 40%. But ultimately, <laughs> you need to be willing to shoot yourself back down to 40% in terms of attempts. And Chris Middleton, that, that was a problem today. Um, Miritich didn't play as many minutes, but still, like he needed to be out there hunting and got, hunting shots when he could because he was one of the few guys who played good offensively. I think my biggest question comes, guys, is, you know, Pat Conton obviously had a decent series against against the uh, Pistons, but everyone had a good series against the Pistons. I like, I like Sterling Brown. Sterling Brown is is not a 16-game player, as Draymond Green um, has emphasized. Um, Tony Snell, I'm not here to say Tony Snell is, is ready to be a postseason contributor, but he's got to be because that guy, in just in terms of what he can do uh, at, at, in a 6-7 frame, is better than Sterling Brown, in my opinion, is better than Pat Compton. I don't know what's happened to him in terms of if he's just shot on confidence, if he has no ability to play anymore. But I, you got I got you got to give him some important minute burn over one of these two when they're playing that poorly. It was uh, it was really just if if I'm looking at this and I'm looking at all right, what is this what is sustainable and what are the things that can change? Well, I think that the Bucks outside shooters might be able to hit some more shots. Some of them, granted, they shot 33% from three. I mean, Miritich hit some. Bowie uh, by Giannis. Giannis hit some, and, and so that that's not really sustainable. Uh, but some of the other guys, like you would anticipate that they would take more shots and that they would be able to make more. Um, I look at Giannis when he's going down, he's getting double teamed. He's got to be, he's got to be a guy to be able to identify where the double team is coming from and hit the open man and then make the Celtics pay uh, with their rotation. They're going to rotate hard, continue, make that extra pass 
and find the open shooter. The idea is Giannis and shooters. And so when they're sending that double team, you need to make them pay with those shooters um, and hope that Brogdon can come back because he's one of those guys who really can knock it down. And I'm just looking at it too. I think I was reading what you guys talking about. I think, I don't know who put it on the dock talking about the Celtics hierarchy, but to me, compared to watching those matchups during the regular season to now, the Celtics do look like they do. Everyone knows the role more at this point. And I felt like even though Giannis was struggling to find the open guy, I felt like the Celtics rotation to me were at least more cleaner. I felt like their rotations were good, but I just felt as though Giannis, like Al Horford showed up to Giannis a lot more. I know the double team helped out because the Pistons weren't able to do that as much, but I felt like Al Horford, the few times that Al Horford was kind of like stuck on Giannis, he made him pay, and it wasn't like Al Horford on the other end was just like, all right, I'm just going to stand here, maybe set some picks, maybe get some putbacks. No, he was just like, I'm going to spread the floor a little bit, move around, and I think that also disrupted part of the Bucks' plan. I mean, the the shooters that the um, that the Bucks have, like, you know, guys like Sterling Brown, um, uh, you know, Pat Connaughton, those those are the guys who are kind of taking that Brogdon role. Like, they're not afraid of anyone, any wing defender on the Pistons team. There's no reason to fear. And so they're just they're knocking it down here. The size and athleticism of this bot of these Boston wings make life difficult on you, make you maybe not be able to take as confident of, of shots from the outside. Mm-hmm. And and so the, that's part of it. Those guys need to be able to shoot better. And, um, I mean, you can hope uh, for, for more from Giannis. I mean, only scoring 22 points, considering how he did. But, I mean, maybe it's just a disadvantage that the Pistons really weren't able to make it a series, and you you didn't have to really make any adjustments. Uh, you could beat the Pistons with one hand tied behind your back. So why do I need to really even try to come up with unique things. And maybe this is where coach bud really has to make some adjustments when he wasn't even asked to in the Pistons series. Yeah. No, when you, when you have the opportunity to just play downhill with Giannis and have people catch and shoot around him, why, what else would you prefer him to do? Right. And against the Pistons. And I would say against, you know, 24 other NBA teams, you can do that because the Teams just don't have the personnel the Celtics do. They don't have the depth pieces the Celtics do. Not very many teams just have a Marcus Morris in terms of a physical body just hanging out, you know. Marcus Morris definitely has flaws as the player, but he's incredibly useful in just being 6'8 and strong. Jason Tatum, you know, gets has some pretty long arms that he, when he brings over help, like that's a that is increases the difficulty of passes. Jalen Brown, like is, is was you know his rookie season gonna you know not dubbed but like given the task of hey you're gonna be our LeBron stopper obviously it didn't work out but there's the defensive pot- potential there that told someone hey this is what we're gonna try out and not to mention Al Horford who you know for some reason people thought stunk four years ago and the Celtics got him and now that he's not playing in Atlanta everyone wants to you know blow him up and yeah so I'm here for the Al Horford slander if he, uh, if he ever comes back around just because I, I wanted people to realize how good he's been all along but point being Giannis ha- has to adapt I, I feel like he's turning his back to the defense too early in these post ups. He's not looking to get um, he's not he's not setting up the defenders well off the dribble. He's settling into like going into a post up off his dribble attacks, and honestly, he's got to be a little bit more creative and 
and identify the double teams when they come because right now he's he's walking himself into trouble and it's it's not going to work out. But I, I, I want to mention one more thing on the Celtics side. They you, we were talking about rotations being being squared up. I think it's so important that Kyrie is just dominating the ball now, being mm-hmm. the best player on the court in terms of offensively. He he really needs to ha- have the ball in his hands. Uh, Horford is the perfect secondary piece. Hayward runs the bench unit, and then right now you have it where either Tatum or Brown, one of them is probably going to get going and can really be the you know you know nail final nail in the coffin to any team. And that's why this team's so scary. If you have the, that potential. And like you know, type of players surrounding Irving, who's going to break people down. Horford, who's going to be a defensive stud. Like all of a sudden, you just have you have counter punches on counter punches, and it's just beautiful to see. Now the Boston Celtics shot very well, shooting about forty two percent from three. For me, is that going to be sustainable going forward? I don't quite think so. Uh, I think that will take a dip. But I mean, with Milwaukee, like you know. You lost by 22, so it's going to take more than just a slight regression from Boston to make it happen. And I think it starts, you mentioned Giannis, I think it starts with Eric Bledsoe. He needs to be better. He needs to make um, you know, Kyrie Irving pay for, uh, you know, he needs to make him pay for and, and make like life difficult on him. If Kyrie's going to have his way on offense, you got to make it just really awful for him on the defensive end. So um, that's, what I, that's what I'm looking forward to in game two, seeing... Eric Bledsoe try to take care of that uh, of that matchup. Yeah, Eric Bledsoe needs to be way more assertive on offense. His problem yeah. is he's being timid. I and mean, I, I compare this game to what he did is what to what Kyle Lowry did in Game One against the Magic. The fact that you took five shots total. I mean, granted, he got to the rim um, three at least three other times to get free throw shots. Um, but the fact that you took that few shots, scored six points. That's a that's a problem to me. You need to be ready to be more aggressive. Because Chris Milton, I don't think you're ever going to get him to be aggressive, Chris Milton. Chris Milton is a go with the flow, take the shots as they come kind of guy. Yeah. Someone else needs to have that I'm going to go get a bucket mentality, and I think it's got to be Eric Bledsoe. And honestly, Brooke Lopez, if they're going to put if they're going to put um, Marcus Morris on you to start the game, go ahead and punish him once or twice in the first quarter. Try to try to get him to think about that strategy again. Obviously, the help can come, but Brooke Lopez is not a bad passer by any stretch of the imagination. Go ahead and like you know, do some inside out with you yourself. Like there needs they need to diversify their attack. And Richard, for all all the harping and making fun of Coach Bud, we did to you all season. This does come down to a Coach Bud decision. He's got to have more than one one game plan for this team. And if he doesn't, that's where this team falls. I'm ready for the coach of the year to step up his game plan. I'm ready for him to make some adjustments, Ethan. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to get all this hype, right. If we're, if we're going to be talking about how coach, Butt is opening, opening up the floor for Giannis, how he's spreading it, how he's making it all. I, I just, I'm looking forward to the adjustments that he's going to make Ethan. That's all I got to say. Well, Nate, McMillan, Nate McMillan's my coach of the year. So we, yeah. don't have to, we don't have anything else to, yeah. I don't have anything else to add to that. I just, you know, I want to shout the shout the man who, you know, coached coached his team well all season with with very marginal talent to say the least. Marginal indeed. Let's go ahead and move on to right. uh, the last game, Warriors Rockets. Uh, this is the this is the series that we've been waiting for in the Western Conference. Um, like the the uh, Trailblazers Denver series might as well not even like take place. This is the focus right here. I mean. Not, I'm just being a little bit facetious with that other with that other comment, but like this is the one. This is what we've all been waiting for, and it was a weird game. 
it, it was a, a weird game one. Draymond is beginning the game looking like he's the focal point of the offense, making shots. And, um, you know, Steph and Clay were, were not great in this game. Kevin Durant, you know, got his as he usually does. Uh, but it's just a weird-looking game. You know, the Rockets, I mean, this part was at least, um, you know, what we've seen before with the Rockets missing like eight three-pointers to start the game. I mean, you know, we, we've seen 0 for 27 before. What's what's another 0 for 8? Um, but it it was a really interesting game that I think is going to get – here's the talking point from this game, Ethan. Hand Elkin. James Harden. The officiating arounding James Harden landing zones and the fouls that he did not get. And um, I, that's going to be where – all of this is going to center around, guys, don't you think? Yep. Um, ultimately, there's there's definitely missed calls on both ends. James Harden's going to bait refs into some calls that he definitely doesn't deserve. But in the in the context of landing zone, which is going to be the uh, discussion point on first take, PTI, all those shows on ESPN tomorrow, it, it's very hard to – and this this might not get brought up, though. It's very hard to figure out what constitutes a landing zone based on the different – types of jump shooters we have you know I, I, I was talking about Damian Lillard before um, we hit record and that guy has a pretty straight up and down jump shot he's very low energy get gets into his shot releases and comes back down pretty close to where he does unless he's you know shooting a ridiculous 37 foot uh, step back um, Eric Gordon for example literally no no nothing other than up and down straight James Harden on almost all of his uh, shots leans into contact and granted like it, it's part of his deal but it's also when, when you step back from so far away you gotta find a way to make up that distance and part of the thing is he does still kind of jump forward on his jump shot kevin durant is a forward leaper on his jump shot so what where is the landing zone on those guys when some people are up straight up and down like the Kawhi leonard injury play he was straight up and down zaza came in directly under him like if if, if Kawhi jumped forward on his jump shot there Zaza, he would have landed on Zaza's kneecap. Would have been a completely different type of story. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think it's a very hard thing to officiate. And you know, different people on Twitter have have said it well. It when when you fall down every time and look for a foul, it's it, you're, it's going to be hard to know when it's real and when it's not. And so I, it's hard to feel bad for anyone individually. Um, I will say the last play with Draymond was not a foul, um, but it's just it's just tough. I, I don't really know how we fix that problem going forward. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those situations where usually what happens is there will be um, a collision that takes place at the three point line, someone coming down and, and the defenders upset because a foul call is made and the offensive players on the floor. And, and then you look at it again at, at you know, in slow motion and you, and you say, ah, he, the offensive player flopped or James Harden flopped. He really didn't deserve it. And that's usually what takes place. However, in the four, times that uh, it happened in the, in the first half where clay thompson's the main culprit here in each and every one of those ones where there was no call the instant replay was like whoa that that actually was a call so it was kind of counter to what we usually see taking place james harden really did deserve those 12 free throws that he should have gotten in the first half now to be fair like you've said before james harden is one of the most difficult guys to officiate in the league i'm sure that he got you know three or four other calls throughout the um you know throughout the game that shouldn't have been foul calls because the way that he plays makes it really, really difficult on officials. I don't think that these officials are out there to try to, you know, fix games or, or to do any of any of that stuff. It's just incredibly difficult 
refing someone like James Harden. However, those since those ones were fouls, they're going to send that game tape into the league and say, hey, be on the lookout for this. This should be a foul. And mm-hmm. I think that you're going to see a lot of a lot more of those calls go his way in game two. And so this is where if you're the Golden State Warriors, you probably need to adjust that. Clay Thompson, let's let's you know get the Zaza Pachulia out of there. He didn't play for you guys this season, so you know don't try to emulate his defense there. Uh, it's just I'm interested to see where it goes from here. And officiating is going to be unfortunately the main focus of I believe this entire series. I'll bring it up again. If we start letting players bet mfers on on calls, we're, we'll, we'll, all this will get fixed. Oh, this 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 proposal by Ethan. Here we go again. It's not great. I don't <laughs> I, think so. <laughs> I think I think it, it's got some some merit. Um, I want to mention Quint Capella, guys. Quint Capella. Um, we've mentioned him briefly in this postseason run because of an Andre Drummond comparison, but Quint Capella had a bad, very bad game in my opinion. Uh, his defense probably okay for the most part, but I honestly just. I'm not. I'm not seeing it, guys. I'm not seeing this Clint Capella that um, was getting praised so so loudly in the Utah series, you know, for being able to help play Gobert out of out of position all the time. Like, what what's so different in this this to the next series? Because I'm I'm struggling to see where Capella earned any of his money today. Well, I mean, I'll tell you where, like the you know. Well, from the Rockets fans, here's a Rocket fan is going to say, well, you know, they, they did say at the end of the last series, you know, he was having some respiratory infections and things like that. Maybe he just doesn't have his lungs all the way underneath him anymore. And and, you know, after another game or two, maybe he'll be back. So let's let's, you know, let's not be too hard on Clint Capella here today. Um, that's what a Rockets fan is going to tell you, Ethan. Um, as for for me looking at it, I don't I don't know. I don't have as as much to say. Here's what I can say. If Andre Drummond was in there. They probably win this game. So, I know they don't have the rebounding problems that they had. Yes. How, how many offensive rebounds did the Warriors have? They had a Let's lot. take a look. Mm, they and had eight. Eight. Ooh, eight. And I feel like four of them came on one possession. Got Quay Thompson a bunch of shots. You know, and I don't even think that the the Rockets paid the price for how poorly they rebounded. To be to be completely honest, but Quay Capella, I just I don't think he was present as a lob threat. I don't think he played particularly great or bad defense, and he definitely did not rebound well. And with that in mind, like this team needs him to be their third or fourth best player in any given night. And tonight, he he was not that. Nene was much better off the bench than Clint Capella. I, I still and like I think it, it all harpens back to like that final, like one of those final possessions when they got the switch for Nene on on Curry. Why was Capella not out there? Is is this this respiratory problem thing? Because ultimately, you can't you can't have Nene, thirty eight year old Nene, guarding Stephen Curry with a game on the line. I don't know <laughs> if Nene's that old, but it doesn't matter. That's how old he looks, and it, you can't have it. You just can't have it. Like you got to have someone else out there, and it's just it's just disappointing. Like I'm as much as I don't believe Kenny Fareed's a, a good a good basketball player for this series. Like at least he has the energy. He's going to go out and get you the rebounds. I feel is like, but man, it's just it was a frustrating existence for me to watch and know what's going to happen. They're going to get Nene on the switch, and it's just going to be an open shot wherever Curry happens to want to take it. And that was a frustrating thing. As I look at both of these teams, uh, you know, it's a close game that Golden State wins by four. As I look at both these teams, I ask myself, okay, what's actually sustainable here? 
And the Rockets make it difficult on you with their style of play with taking, you know, 47 three-point attempts, shooting almost 30%. Um, like, are they going to shoot better? They started out 0 for 8. You know, maybe maybe they do. Uh, maybe you end up having, you know, P.J. Tucker actually scoring a point. Maybe, um, you know, Eric Gordon played really, really well, but he was 4 of 13. Um, so he's out there under shooting less than 40%. Um, you know, Danwell house did not play well today. He made one three and that was it offensively. That was all he provided for you. And, and, you know, you have other guys out there like Shump and green and, um, neither, none of them are providing anything you need to have more. And I know that with the way this team has been constructed, um, with James Harden, Chris Paul, Capella and Gordon, like you need the other guys to be able to make some shots if you're going to beat this Golden State team. You can't be saying we're going to have all of our points coming from like three guys and hope to beat this Golden State team because they've got a bunch of guys as well. However, you know, Clay Thompson didn't play super well. Uh, Steph Curry didn't play particularly that well uh, either, but all right, hit a big shot at the end. Uh, but really, it was you know Kevin Durant and Draymond Green playing playing pretty well overall. And it was enough to beat the Rockets uh, today. This is just an interesting series because of the variance we can see with Houston, the way that they play. And that alongside of refing is what I'm looking for in game two. Mm-hmm. I hate that that is such a problem, though. Yeah. Like to hear that that's a focus for us as, you know, amateur analysts of like, we got to really watch what the officials are going to do out there. Like that just is a depressing omen for me as a um, as a spectator. And, and again, but it's true, but it is true. It's not as if we're saying the refs are trying to win the game for Golden State or Houston. It's just, no, it's just what are hard. their points of emphasis? What are they actually able to see out there? And and what are they going to call? And it's the way that James Harden plays that makes that become a focus within the game. Yep. And I, I will say that I think Chris Paul needs to do better at controlling himself. That little That little man is an angry guy. I mean, you look at the overall, you know, you end up looking at the overall score at the end of the at the end of the game, lose by four points, text two texts from him and one from D'Antoni. Yeah, you, you, you can definitely put the margin right there, right um, there. Yep. But all that being said, the, just the way I look at it is everything the Warriors did is de- like repeatable. The, the rock rockets everything that they did is repeatable like not, nothing about this game I, I unfortunately I, I saw a tweet from Dan Feldman about um teams who have uh lost the game one of the series by 20 or more points uh don't actually win the series and he had like a graphic up there um and anyway not important but like I, I still feel like we learned stuff from that Boston and Milwaukee game I don't feel like I learned anything from this game because like ultimately, it was hard to hard to watch with the the, the fouls or just the flops, which however way you want to look at it, and the fact that you know we just didn't we didn't see any one individually brilliant performance. Like we didn't see a matchup that teams can you know just go pick at other than um, Nene on Curry. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. I I, I, I I've, I've been left wanting Richard and Elgin. Like I, I I want something more from this matchup, and I ha- I didn't get it today. And so like now I'm like fiending, and it's not it's not a great feeling. Well, with that, guys, we got some games to look forward to, and and hey, we should have some good matchups in the second round. You know, while the vast majority of them went 
you know, some of them sweeps, some of them game fives. Um, I'm hoping that we get a lot of game sevens, just not only for good basketball, but because, you know, revenue sharing. That's, that's what I'm about. I want a higher salary cap, guys. Like like we – and then we get a little bit of the side profit. No, yeah. we don't. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Well, I, I haven't thought of a nickname for Pascal yet, but if I ever am a, uh, a play-by-play guy, my, my call will be Pascal called game. We got to work on it a little bit. But yeah, Pascal called game, that's what it would be. That's what it would be. Oh, it's, bad. it's bad one, Ethan. It's bad it's, one. It's bad, but it's good. Oh, okay, Richard. I think on that note, as you were saying, we're it's done. Bad, but it's good. <laughs> we're out of here, y'all. <laughs>